first week of the tour has had its ups and downs with excitement and some boring times. And the last time we met, the sprinters are going through a changing of the guard on stage 7 with Dutchman Dylan Grunenwagen getting the spoils after a long day of racing. Stage 8 was a repeat of the same, but this time with a little more action in the final from the competing sprinters, some worrying more about each other than the finish itself. However, Sunday in Hell Part 2 lived up to the hype and gave the cycling world one of the best miles race per feet climb type races in years. With the expectation that the GC would be blown apart like a Super Dave Osborne stunt, only one GC hopeful didn't make the finish and one other missed out, but not by much. In the end, the day's stage winner gave one of the best post-race interviews and the little GC men survived and even thrived. We break down stages 8 and 9 of the tour, preview the brutal second week in the Alps, and give some love to the women's lacrosse on tap for tomorrow as well. But first coming up, stages 8 and 9, rest day, recap, 2018, Tour and Gilbert, two teammates of Lampard. We have Sagan, the intruder in the green jersey, and Sturven, who's with this man, Degenkorb. Degenkorb is where he doesn't want to be at the minute, leading out the sprint from the front. 200 metres to go, and they have to go now. It's Degenkorb from the front in the white. On the left-hand side, the Belgian champion in the national colours, but it's another Belgian coming off the wheel at the minute. Degenkorb, though, is holding it, but here comes Van Avermaet. Degenkorb going from a long way, and he's going to do it! forced to lead out the sprint and on a day of legends in Roubaix John Dingle the former winner is back welcome this is the between two wheels podcast your host Tyler Yonke giving you a rest day recap for July 16 2018 tomorrow we head into stage 10 and hit the Alps but first, we got to do a little recap of what happened with Stage 8 and 9 and a little follow-up to the big race yesterday, the Sunday in Hell. Stage 8, we had Drew to Amiens, uh, 181 kilometers. We mentioned that one before. Stage a Cat 4, climb, another Cat 4, a sprint, the time bonus, and then the, and then the finish. 181.5 kilometers. Sprinters were licking their chops for this one. This one was pretty uneventful, save for a wreck in the uh, last several, what, 20 so kilometers by Dan Martin. Uh, and then a sprint finish at the end where we had a little bit of headbutting, some elbowing, and some relegations, and then another two time winner. Stage nine route, we know that one, Aras to Rebay yesterday on Sunday, 154 kilometers, 15 sectors, and pretty brutal itself. Classic day in July with 15 of those sectors starting around 40 kilometers into the 156.5 kilometer stage. The last sector coming at 148 kilometers and 12 of those 15 sectors were used in the 2018 Paris-Roubaix. So this was not just your mini tour uh, Roubaix day. It was it was full blown, but maybe about half of what you'd get on uh, April day in northern France. Drew, northern France city, population of just over 31,000. Not much to talk about there. Another starting stage was in RS the next day. French Revolution and both world wars destroyed a lot of those cities and historical buildings. Amiens, hometown to author Jules Verne, father of science fiction, second most translated author in the world since 1979, ranking between Agatha Christie and William Shakespeare. You may have heard some of his books, Journey to the Center of the Earth, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Around the World in 80 Days. Check them out if you need to. Rabay, well, not much to say about Rabay. It should be known mostly for hosting the most famous one-day bike race in the world, the Paris-Roubaix. All right, let's get to some highlights. 
Uh, after stage seven, we really had no withdrawals. There was still 170 70 rider field strong. We still had the same jerseys going in. Polka dot, Tom Squeens. Green with Peter Sagan. Best young rider, Soren Craig Honorson. GCU, Greg Van Evermont. And the best team, I think, was still Quick Step with Lantern Rouge pulling in. Lawson Craddock. Other notables into the day. TJ Van Garderen now eight seconds back. Chad Haga at 11.30. Ian Boswell, 27 minutes. Taylor Finney at 38. Lawson Craddock, um, hour. And 107th, as I mentioned. So what do we have here? We had stage... Eight, Grunner Wagon basically blasts out of the sprinters. His power and prowess on that stage was very impressive. He got in a good position, was able to come around the riders and took a good lead up to the finish. We had Peter Sagan getting, well, he had a little argy-bargy, as they might say, with Gaviria and Andre Greipel. Greipel head-buttered one rider, and then he was elbowing with Graviria, who looked like he was trying to do a little Cavendish move around Sagan from last year and didn't have enough room, starts putting his head. And then as, you know, look, Peter Greipel, well, I mean, Andre Greipel, he's, his nickname is the Gorilla, and it's the Gorilla for a few reasons. One, well, maybe just one reason, he's big. You're not going to move him around. Gaviria is not quite the same size of a man. And he starts to try to headbutt and move, and, and Greipel's going nowhere. Plus, Greipel's kind of going ahead of him, and Gaviria just seems to be wasting his time getting the headbutt in there. Now, you could use it as a defensive move, but you can't use it as an offensive move, which it looked like Gaviria was doing. Gaviria ends up getting second on the stage. Greipel, I think, was third. Both of them were relegated. I don't think Greipel's relegation was necessary. Um, but either way, kind of takes a little bit of the the stress out of it, just put them both back in the finish or at the back of the pack. So you get Sagan in second, Dagan called with a third, Christophe fourth, Arnold Demar fifth on Bastille Day. So French rider getting about fifth place, about the best they can expect. The GC coming out of that day, Van Avermont still in the first year. Let me just break down the GC guys uh, that you have possibilities. Thomas, are we going to include uh, Garrett Thomas in the overall? <sighs> probably. I think you're going to keep continuing to put him up until he shows that he is all committed to, because he's still making comments where he's plan uh, two, not even plan B, but he's just plan A1 or 1A and Froome's the other guy. So he thinks he's a two-prong attack. Uh, seven seconds back, Ben Gardner in nine seconds. Or this is going into Sunday's. Rigoberto Iran at 49, Valverde, Micah, it's everyone. All grouped up there same within a minute off of Van Evermont. And we'll take that seven seconds off of Thomas. And Nibali, 112, Roglic, 121, Moloma, 122, Dumoulin, 127, down to Quintana at 214, Dan Martin, 247. So Dan Martin lost a little time. He had a nasty wreck. His team came back, uh, was trying to help him get back up. And it just didn't look like it was... They weren't able to get him back to the finish. He lost a little bit of time, and he got clawed up pretty bad. He said something that looked like he went in a fight with like a lion. Uh, but that's kind of the way it is. Things happen, and maybe Dan Martin, you know, needs to recover for the next day. All right, with stage eight out of the way, we then look to stage nine, which we were expecting some massive carnage. And the only real question was which GC rider was going to be put out of the tour completely and which GC riders were going to be put out on time. So personally, I woke up 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time to watch the stage live and tune into the, you know, prior to the cobbles and all the big action. 
But when I got up and got my coffee brewed and finally sat down, Richie Port was already out of the tour with an abandonment, crashed just around 10K in, banded with a separated shoulder. This development basically then meant, hey, TJ, you're you're instantly the team leader and going for the overall. I don't even know if they had a plan B in motion, and he just seemed to be the kind of the the plan super domestique. But, you know, like he's put into that position. And then, you know, you have the situation kind of like, hey, the king's been killed, the successor's coming up. But he didn't have very long to even take the throne before he was put out of it with a, a crash. He gets back up. He's having a tough time getting back up to the group. And as soon as he does, he looks kind of, you know, tired. He needs to regroup. I uh, really didn't have much help with the chase. And then come around the corner and he crashes again. So he's got, he's got, I think he ended up crashing twice. He had two flats and then the day was on. And, you know, it was really interesting. Uh, the final outcome is Degen Kolb gets the win with over Greg Van Avermont and Yves Lampert. Uh, you've got Trek Sigafredo team with Degen Kolb, U.S. bike sponsor, uh, bike team. And BMC, which is a U.S. registered team riding BMCs. Then you have E. Lampert uh, riding for Quick Step, riding the U.S. specialized bike. So interesting day out there for that. Lawson Craddock ends up hanging on. He makes the time cut like 16 minutes. Uh, not an issue there. Dagan Kolb has one of the best interviews talking about his uh, friend that had died. You know, he came back from an injury that would basically uh, tore off his finger. And look, personal note, as someone who I had a finger cut off as a one-year-old, that takes some years, and they sewed it back on, that that takes some years to recuperate, and your finger's always being hit. There's always a problem. And, uh, you know, for him, if it's his right index finger, I think is what it was, and, and you know, in the sprinting, that's kind of, you're shifting down, um, you know, in the, in the heat of battle. I don't know. It could cause it. Point is, this is some setbacks, and it's good to see him come back from that. He dedicated the victory to his uh, friend who had died. He said it like a second father. He did have a touching uh, commentary uh, interview, and he said it well, even through the emotions. So let's just break down some of the writers on the day and how they did. We had... Bardet he had multiple flats, he had multiple bike changes and lots of chasing. I, at one point I'm like, is he running like 21 millimeter tires with like 120 PSI? Cause it, he was just flatting all over the place. Then he was changing his bike. Maybe. And I think he might have severe wind burn from all the whipping of the wind coming off the cars and motorbikes that were pacing him back into contention. Dan Martin seemed to have no problems. Uh, Quintana and Valverde, no real issues. Thomas had no issues. Froome, he did crash over Moscon at one point in the corners and the cobbles, uh, but he was back up pretty quick. Uh, there's an uh, interesting picture of him, like legs spread, flying over the top. He seemed, and it's been going around online, uh, but it's he seems to have had some crashes that are just in the right places this year, which, you know, that's kind of the luck issue. Fuglesong, I think he had one time he was chasing back. Uh, Iran was doing a great ride until the last, what, 10, 15. He had to, he got it caught up in a wreck, I think on Philippe that had gone down and he went down and he had to get up little change. He had the team come back. He had, uh, Taylor Finney drop out of the front group, Seth Van Mark drop out of the front group and he had a good team going, but they just could not close the gap. But what was interesting is, and we'll talk about this a little bit, Landa crashed, uh, on the tarmac all by himself, getting a bottle not in the cobbles. He gets back on. He's got a team around him. Bardet goes down or gets a flat. He gets a horrible change. He gets jumps in with the, uh, the Landa group and that, you know, with two K they're still 45, 50 seconds off of the main group. 
And mysteriously, they are there at the finish. Uh, Yates, no big issues. Dumoulin, no big issues. Barguy, no big issues, weirdly. Uh, Zacharin had one at one point. I even saw Kittle dropping back to help him out. So a lot of these teams, you know, we talked about that, they're in the classic mode, but they stepped it up on some of these classic riders to help their team out. Um, Van Avermaet did not do so. He just buried himself, put, a, put himself up in the front looking to win. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So yeah, Devin Call, Lampert, Van Armaat, they took off. They got about a one minute up there before they started playing games near the finish. Devin Call comes from the front, uh, takes the, the, the sprint on from the front, never relenting, gets the win over Greg Van Avermaet and Lampert. Another little section of riders coming in with Sagan, Gilbert, Stoyven, and Jungles. And then the rest of the group with uh, Greipel, Bolsenhagen, DuPont, Christophe, and all the GC guys coming in as well. There's a little break in there. Landa, they show him at 34 plus seconds. Vermote, uh, Seberg, Vandendert, and those guys, Bardet, 34 seconds, uh, which is just, you know, the leaders, the, the 27 seconds. So there's just seven seconds different from them to the main field, which is just uh, crazy to see. And the time, the time gaps did not grow out from there at all. What do you have from this? Well, you have basically uh, Richie Port obviously getting knocked out of the tour. Yeah, TJ Van Garderen uh, getting knocked out of any GC hopes. And everyone else kind of solidified. And, you know, these little guys, you know, Dan Martin uh, puts up at the end of the day. That was awesome on a, on a picture. And all these guys dirt-filled, you know, some pretty intense cobbles. But, you know, what do you expect? These are actually good riders. I mean, you don't get to win the tour and go down some of these descents in the packs that they do and do all these racing without being able to handle your bike. Uh, you know, so even Quintana and some of these guys, you're like, oh, little guys. Well, look at, uh, you had a few things going on there. Goudin, by the way, was off the front for quite a while. Uh, you know, he did that. He won Trobro Leon, uh, which is like a dirt Strada Bianca type thing. You have uh, Bardet, who's coming back constantly to the field running over the cobbles uh you know he was second place this year in strada bianca so those are two guys you know the, the point is there's some of these riders you don't expect but you know bardet maybe we should expect uh based on the fact of how he's actually done in some of these weird types of races okay so gc gets totally flipped up van Evermont extends his lead you know the only one, GC rider that extended their lead yesterday, um, you know, the, for, that can be in the overall? Dan Martin. He ends up getting a few seconds on the bonus sprint. Anyway, Van, uh, Van Avermaet increased his to 43 over uh, Garrett Thomas. Gilbert uh, Jungles moved up a little bit. He's in fourth place at 50 seconds. Valverde in there. Uh, let's go down away. You've got, because TJ lost almost five minutes, so he's now at 30th place at 6.05. Dan Martin, 24th at 322. Iran down to 253. And Quintana, 250. So there's, you know, once again, I don't know if Thomas is still in it, uh, but you take about a 50, 40 seconds, and those guys are still kind of bunched up in there. And and still within it, um, you know, in the, in the possible realm of being in the tour. You know, one little mistake can happen still, and you never know who in the lead group could be caught out. Some winners. Dylan Grodenwagen, um, unless, you know, he crashed in stage nine as well. So we'll see if he's actually able to finish. Uh, Tony Martin had to bow out due to a fracture or something of his spine from stage eight. So he's not a winner, obviously, but I was just going over some of the, the wrecks we had here. You know, all the all the GC riders basically were winners except for Port 
and TJ to a great extent. So we'll talk about that in a little bit here. Degenkov, obviously a winner. He really felt like he needed this. And, you know, you saw a lot of teams, uh, the GC teams like Movie Star with all their guys basically up in there in the front. Uh, you know, they didn't get the win, but they've got to feel like they did. I, mean, I think that's why you have such elation from Dan Martin as well. Some of the losers, Team BMC, they lost all their GC hopes. I mean, they're they're all gone. But their, their tour, in a sense, was kind of saved by Van Avermaet being in yellow since stage three. We'll see if he can actually defend it tomorrow. He might be able to do a little bit. And also they had a new amount, announcement that they merged with the CCC, the Polish team, for the next few years. Things that make you go, hmm. Well, as I just mentioned, new BMC, CCCC team merger. Uh, the breaking news out today from Jim Okowitz is that they signed a deal with that team. We're not sure where that team is going to be licensed, which country, but they do have an ongoing uh, contract signed with them and they will be an existing team. So uh, no bike sponsor they mentioned. So no BMC, obviously. Uh, there's a report that BMC is to data, uh, Dimension Data, perhaps. Um, is there a Polish bike team out there, or bike sponsor, bike company out there? I, I haven't heard of it. There is one, but I don't think they make good bikes. It, it was also reported that Greg Van Avermaet signed with the team. Uh, Port's gone to Trek, TJ to EF Education First. That's the deal. So they're kind of looking at a team with no GC rider. They're GC-less for the next few years from now on. No GC rider, no bike sponsor. Hey, look, look, uh, bikes are available. They bowed out from the Fortuneo Samsic team. So maybe maybe they're available. Also, the, if BMC is going to uh, mention data, then perhaps you have uh, Cervelo that would be available for the CCC team. Um, Chris, I was mentioning back and forth with him, and he seems to think maybe Giant. All right, so we can keep your mind, keep your eyes out there for a good Polish bike uh, that this team can maybe take. Uh, he also suggested, hey, how about they just bring their own bike and then we paint them uh, team colors. So, you know, BYOB, bring your own bike. All right, another thing that makes you go, hmm, is uh, Bardet. He had a he he uploaded his ride to Strava. Uh, Matt White commented on how in the world was it possible for Bardet to rejoin the front group when he did, at, when he did, and how he did, stating also that TV2 helped him out. I'm not sure if what he meant by TV two. If he was saying that the TV Moto was helping him, or that maybe it was just the producer chose not to. Because I, I rewatched it that today, and they just they would show close up on Bardet, but they were not showing at all how he was getting help back up to the group. And you know, Matt White's basically saying that they were being towed back up. Uh, no penalties were obviously given either way, uh, and it was suspicious when I was watching it today. You know, the team on the front. Their uh, Sagan's taken off. You have Dan Martin's doing attacks. Uh, Dumoulin was doing attacks. This is all in the last two or three K. And somehow those in, in, in Iran wasn't getting any help other than uh, like motorized help. Uh, but somehow Bardet's group comes back, which was a little fishy. Uh, either way, the headlines seem to confirm something nefarious because Bardet, he uploaded his Strava and it recorded a max speed of 136 kilometers an hour. Uh-oh. Um, but then a little breakdown of that, however, showed that that was a time when he had been swapping bikes, which he had been doing a lot. And that was actually one time it was on the car and left his Garmin running. So I, and there was also a motor doping issue, I guess, Scoins, uh at one point, and I have not seen the video. I just heard it remarked and read a little bit about it where evidently his wheel was running around. We'll have to see. It, it seems a little far-fetched to me to have 
and I'm sure, you know, with all the checking there, they're all over that. It was to be, actually, I hope the UCI does check that bike specifically so that uh, we can kind of put that one to bed. All right, what's coming up? Preview of what's coming up tomorrow. You have stage nine, Annecy to Le Grand Barnard, uh, 159 kilometers. You have a one, two, three, four, five, five categories climbs. You have four, starts out with a cat four up the Col de Bluffet. 1.5k at 5.6, so it's not too bad. And actually, the we'll go over the La Course because they do that run, uh, that climb as well. Then you hit a Cat One climb at the called the Cor de Feu, uh, 11.3 kilometers at 7%. That's a pretty famous climb. It's going to be hurting that crest at about 43k in. So you're going to probably see some guys, you know, go over that first one, try to get a springboard, and see what we have for a break on the day. Then you have the HC category Monte. The Plateau de Gilles, it's 6K at 11.2%. So that's a steep one. And that one actually has gravel. So that will be an interesting one. The women do not do the Croix de Fort or the this, uh, Col des Gilles. So that one comes crest over at 70K. So the first 70K, you've got three climbs, uh, one CAC one, one HC. So it's pretty loaded up at the front. And it's, you know, unless Froome decides to do his thing 80K out, it's probably a little too far for a lot of the action. They do still have some lumps that are going to be going over, but then they hit the, they have a sprint in between the cat four and the cat one. So look for Sagan to still be able to get that. Then they finish, finish with two cat ones starting at about 121 kilometers in of the 158. Uh, that's the first one up the Col de Romo. It's 8.8 at 8.9%. So that's pretty steep as well. Then they do the Col de Colombier, 7.5K at 8.5. So those are both some brutes. Uh, Cat 1 climbs. Problem is you then have roughly 13 or so K into the finish of downhill and then some flat. And so it'll be interesting to see how they come up on that. Like I said, there is a bonus intermediate sprint, but no bonus sprint. And it comes early. Notes on the climb. You obviously had, like I mentioned, you have gravel. It's a it's a, it's a steep one. I'm not sure how steep the, the parts are in the gravel. Um, and then on the course, it's similar to the men's, but there's at 112 kilometers. They're skipping the Col de Croix and the gravel portion as well. All right, so that should be an electric day, and you're probably going to see a little bit more, you know, coming off the rest day. You always have some people that fare well and some that don't. The course, let's go over that real quick for the women. You have 20 teams, 112 participants. Uh, they do a similar thing uh, from Honesty. They skip the Crotifor. Uh, They skip that. There's another big loop that the men do out kind of to the west and north. And then before they hook up, and so the women do two valleys there instead. So, but they still do a Cat 4, a Cat 2. The one that's different is a Cote de Saint-Jean-de-Six. And it's a 5.5 at 4.9%. The first climb is the same as the main, 1.5 at 5.5. Then they have the Col de Ram, which is 88 at 8.9%. And then the uh, Colombier, 7.5 at 8.5%. So that should be a beast as well. Same finish. Um, and you're getting some of the women. The Giro Rosa just finished. So you're getting some of the women that came off of that. Some of the other ones that are fresher coming out of other things. It, it'll, it should be a really good race. Riders a note. Annemiek Van Bluten, who just won the Giro Rosa, Mitchell and Scott team, her, man, her teammate Amanda Spratt, who also did well. You know, the, the Giro Rosa went over the Zonkalon, so that's a pretty brutal climb as well. Katie Hall, who did not participate in the Giro of UHC. Um, i just put this one. I have no Edwig Patel, the Cognis Metler Pro Cycling Team. I think she's like 50. She did uh, Tour Gila, which also did uh, Redlands, and she did well at 
Gila on these climbing, but she's like a French lady at 50. You got to, you got to wonder. Taylor Wiles, Trek Drops, Ashley Mulma and Paisio, uh, Cervelo Biglow pro cycling team. She was, I think, second at the Giro Rosa, Cassia Neoadoma, Canyon SRAM, and a few others. So that should be a good race. I think that's tune in. I believe NBC is doing that one right before. So hopefully you get to check this out before the race itself. Anything else? No, uh, no feedback, uh, mailbag. Still looking for some of your input. So, all right, folks, that's episode 80 of the Between Two Wheels podcast, your cycling news, commentary, analysis, and interviews from Nolly Cavalier. And as always, subscribe to the show, share it on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbeam, whatever podcast service you have. And for this week, uh, we are not on the YouTube on this episode, but we'll post it there, the audio version, though, and then keep looking for us in the future times. Interact with us on Facebook page by searching Between Two Wheels in the links and can also be found in the show notes at the description of the feed. All right, so we've got Stage 9 in the mountains, Stage 10, and Stage 11. I think 11, uh, Thursday, I believe, they go up. So we got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Thursday is going to culminate up the Alpe d'Huez. Not on the weekend, but it'll still be a party because that's how France goes. And they just won the World Cup, so they're looking to celebrate. And that's maybe the most vaunted one you have yet. So look for that and take care. Take care.